Hello. Welcome to May's edition of Critics Roundtable. I'm RA's senior producer, Chloe Lula. As usual for this format, I spoke with Andrew Rice and Kiana Mickles, RA's music critics, about some of the month's most exciting new releases. But in the lead up to Movement Festival, which happens every Memorial Day weekend, we focus specifically on Detroit. First, we talked about the newest release from Detroit quote-unquote techno-soul stalwart Eddie Folks and a breakout album from a newer Detroit name, DJ Girl, who just released on Planet Mew. They both represent very different takes on the Detroit techno sound. Then, we talked about an interesting article that came out last month in The New Yorker called The Battle Over Techno's Origins, which was written by T.M. Brown. It looked at the opening of the Museum of Modern Electronic Music in Frankfurt. The author argues that the museum and its director have overlooked the city's key role in the creation and dissemination of techno, which sparked backlash from the electronic music community. I feel like you can trace techno's origins back to um, the seminal 1988 album, Techno, the New Dance Sound of Detroit, which featured many Detroit producers that are now regarded as techno pioneers. Um, And this record really put techno on the map, um, but mostly outside of Detroit. I think that is where like the techno is European narrative really started um, because like outside of the people who were making it, black people in Detroit really did not understand techno. (laughs) So this meant that, you know, black pioneers of the genre often had to travel to Europe in order to further their careers. Um, And, you know, like even today, because of this history, like Europe's infrastructure for dance music is so much stronger um, than it is in the U.S. In our conversation, Mickles and Rice lay out the implications of the continuous omission of Detroit from techno's narrative. Why is electronic music's origins an ongoing debate, and how do we honor its progenitors as electronic music moves further away from its foundations and into the mainstream? We unpacked some of these questions and more in this month's conversation, so I'm excited to share it with you, and thanks for tuning in. Thank you both for joining me for May's Critics Roundtable. How are you both doing? Pretty good. Monday morning, you know, you know the vibes. Happy May. So let's dive into today's roundup. While there's been a lot of great music that's come out over the last few weeks, this month we're going to focus on Detroit, which is especially topical as we head towards Movement Festival at the end of the month. For listeners who might not be acquainted with Movement, it's electronic music's longest running dance music festival, gathering thousands of people for the main performances in the city center, as well as satellite after hours parties all over the city. So Eddie Folks is a lesser known progenitor of Detroit techno, and he put out an EP last month, Forever, on Radio Slave's label, Records. And Andrew, you reviewed this release. Can you start by telling us a little bit about Folks? Eddie Folks, formerly known as Eddie Fashion Folks, is uh, he's been DJing for 40 years um, since he's a teenager in Detroit. Um, he kind of came up alongside the main uh, techno founding fathers, um, and he describes his own sound as a techno soul, which is a little with a little more house influence and more obvious influence from like Bisco and high energy and stuff like that, as opposed to a lot of the European influences of uh, Derek May, Kevin Saunderson, Juan Atkins, etc. Uh, he's never really stopped making music. 
but um, he's kind of having like seems like he's having a bit of a moment right now. How come you think he hasn't gotten the same dues that his contemporaries have? I think it's mainly a matter of uh, narrative and like historical record because you know techno narrative always focuses around the Belleville Three, Juan Atkins, Derek May, Kevin Saunderson. They all went to school together. There's like a neat package you could put that into. Eddie Folks is not from the same place. Uh, he does not have the same exact lineage and his music isn't exactly the same, even though he released on a lot of their labels in the late 80s and early 90s. But he's kind of like, not a straggler, but he's like, a, he's outside that orbit. So he kind of just gets left to the wayside sometimes in historical records. But like up until the mid 90s, he was pretty prominent. He released an album with Moritz von Oswald. Uh, you, you know, he was he was definitely part of the Trezor uh, Berlin Detroit connection. But I think, as you know, te- the European and British techno rose to, to prominence into the mainstream, uh, and people started forgetting about Detroit. I think Eddie Folks is one of those people that only the heads knew because he didn't fit that that clean narrative of three people inventing techno. Hmm. Yeah, he's an, a name that I'm definitely not as familiar with. What were your thoughts on the release? You said it's a, quote, near perfect exercise in blending techno and house. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, older producers like that can either kind of get stuck in their ways or kind of get lost in trying to replicate what's popular now. And one interesting thing about Eddie Folks is that the music both kind of sounds a lot like it did 30, 40 years ago, but it still sounds really fresh. Um, I think that's the sign of someone who just, you know, does what they want and has their craft and just, you know, gets better and better at it. Um, For me, it's like the music has a bit of that looser, funky, uh, early Detroit techno feel, Um, but it also has like a, there's like the vocal samples, there's a a bit more of a a house feel to it also. There's a track that samples a Brandy song um, and that makes makes the Brandy hook like the focus of the track, which, you know, you wouldn't often get in what we call like techno these days. So I think like, even though techno soul as a a genre is something that he kind of made up, you can kind of get a feel for it on the CP because there's so many vocals, there's like nice bass lines. It's it's a bit funkier than, than modern techno. Yeah, totally. He put out an RA podcast as well, and it dropped with an interview that's pretty funny. Uh, He describes himself as being blessed by God to give beats to the world, and he also calls himself a legend. What was your take on the interview and the mix? Um, The the mix is pretty good. Uh, It's it's very old school. Uh, The interview was really funny, and um, uh, it seemed to get as much attention as the mix itself. Uh, And, you know, those are kind of... Uh, over-the-top things to say, but when you've been DJing that long and you're still successful, uh, you know, who am I to disagree? Yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's convincing. And, and it's it's nice it's nice to, uh, you know, hear, hear someone, especially someone who you could consider underappreciated, having so much confidence and understanding the role in what they've done, you know. Like, again, you can't really argue with him. So also hailing from Detroit and Kiana, you pointed out now living in Austin, uh, is DJ Girl, who just released her debut album, Hell World on Planet Mew. 
and it's quite different from Folks's release. Can you tell us a little bit about DJ Girl? Sure. So DJ Girl is a Detroit-based producer, um, like you said, is currently based in Austin, Texas. Um, I believe they moved since the pandemic. And before she put out her debut album, she was releasing a steady stream of EPs in 2022 called Loose Joints, which showcased an amalgam of Midwestern influences like Electro, Detroit, and Footwork. And aside from those releases, many may know her from her work with the label Eatis, which she founded in 2018 with the Philly-based producer Nandi. And personally, what I really enjoy about DJ Girl's music is that there is a satisfying air um, of like intentional imperfection. It reminds me a lot of the first music I fell in love with on SoundCloud. Um, like, um, yeah, it's just very self-aware of its grittiness. Um, for example, in the liner notes of the second volume of Loose Joints, um, she actually admits that um, the first track was minimally edited and mixed. Um, and Hellworld still kind of maintains some of that gritty and roughshod feel, but there's um, like a newer sheen across it. Um, yeah, and another thing that's notable about this album, Hellworld, <laughs> um, is that even though DJ Girl is based in Austin, her sound here is deeply... Midwestern. Um, the fact that the album marked her debut on the on Planet Mew um, felt very fitting because of the label's deep ties with experimental and forward-thinking music coming out of the Midwest. Um, like, yeah, for example, like many Footwork fans um, follow the label religiously because it was credited as being the first to really catapult Footwork to the global stage and still. Um, continues to champion the genre today. How do you think that the album fits into the rest of the label's discography? Word. Um, there's a feeling in when you're listening to Hellworld that DJ's kind of like attempting to push as many sounds into the record as possible. Um, it's also like pulled off with this satisfying, um, glitchy video game quality. Um, and yeah, like you really hear, um, you know, a long-standing relationship. Um, um, you really hear um, Planet Mew's long-standing relationship with Footwork in the album, um, but there's also this um, classic Planet Mew maximalist glitchiness to the record. Um, like on tracks like Lucky, there's an angular way that the breaks, Electro, and like these glitchy bleeps and this flat vocal come together um, and the synths and the drums are a little distorted and it reminds me a lot of like the early defining elements of Planet Views discography which I think had a similar almost hiccuping hyper-digital sound.
Yeah, so as you already mentioned, the album is quite different from Folks's in that it blends so many different ideas and genres together. Um, it takes classic Detroit and Midwest dance music motifs and it flips them on their head. It infuses them with ballroom, rap, punk. What is the effect of fusing old school music with this new stylistic approach? Because it is a very different take on the kind of traditionalism we hear in like Eddie Folk's record. Yeah. Um, so I definitely feel like there's a really nice balance of old school and new school on this record. Um, like when people write about the original Detroit techno sounds, they often compare it to the mechanical sounds that were heard in the heyday of industrial Detroit. Um, and so when I listen to this album, I hear a lot of machinery. She's like looking to the frenetic and industrial side of Midwestern dance music, um, focusing on electro, Chicago juke, Detroit techno. Um, like there's this moment on her track Technician um, where this robotic voice announces, I am your technician. It reminds me a lot of, um, you know, that famous vocal on Cybertron's Clear. Um, but outside of that, she's also suffusing her music with um, so many different influences to the point where it oftentimes feels like she's creating her own genres. Um, so, yeah, I think something that like really encapsulates this is the track gallery. Um, there's like dance mania influence the way um, that she seems to reference ghetto house pioneer um, DJ Slug was past that dro. And then there's a more new school feel in the way she unconventionally incorporates rap over her production. Um, and obviously emceeing and ghetto house have always gone hand in hand. Um, but uh, the way that Malik McFly's, um, the vocalist on this record, um, the way his vocals kind of like spiral out of control on the track, sometimes they're pitched up. Um, sometimes it sounds like he's rapping off beat. That feels very innovative. Um, and also, yeah, the production um, on the record is also um, very fresh. There are like slices, um, like you said, of ballroom, industrial techno, and electro just like squeezed into this brief three minute track. One thing I think that often gets lost in um, the history of Detroit techno is uh, in the 90s, there was in Detroit, there was generally a shift from like Wanakin style, uh, Model 500 style techno to ghetto house, um, which was often called JIT music. Um, and there's an article in Spin from either 95 or 98 about uh, older people lamenting that no one likes Detroit techno anymore and that everyone just wants ghetto house, which I think is like an important chapter in uh, Detroit techno history. And like DJ girls music really brings that all together. Like it's not, it's not Detroit in like uh, yeah, model 500 way. It's more Detroit in that, in the nineties way where all these things were colliding at once. Yeah. That's interesting because I have always associated the Detroit sound with this more traditional archetype of like the Detroit house and techno sound. Um, there has been some contention around techno's origins in Detroit, um, which were revived in this article in The New Yorker, which I found really interesting. So last year, the Museum of Modern Electronic Music opened in Frankfurt, and the New Yorker article documents how its director, Alex Azari, said in a video that there's nothing like that at all for the field of electronic music, techno house, and club culture. 
But there has actually been a techno museum known as Exhibition 3000, opened in Detroit since 2002, which is owned by the techno pioneer Mad Mike Banks. And according to this article, Banks started the gallery almost 20 years ago, quote, so that the story of techno's Detroit origins wouldn't get lost or erased as the genre's popularity grew. What are some of the broader issues that MoMA's, the museum's opening in Frankfurt represents? And you you did just kind of allude to this a little bit, Andrew. Um, well, you know, it, it's hard to believe that, especially after the past three years, that anyone could uh, start or do something that's supposed to deal with the history of techno and dance music and like not not get it right or get it so fundamentally wrong. Um, but, you know, I know one of the biggest issues is that the uh, museum's tagline is that, you know, uh, Frankfurt is the origin of techno, which is uh, not not true. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just a, another example, uh, classic example of, in this case, like a European institution trying to take credit or at least uh, Oh, uh, at least overshadow the actual origins of it, which are American and, and black. Um, and it's a, an unfortunate trend that's been going on since basically since the nineties, maybe even the eighties. Um, and I think it's, it's really remarkable that it can still happen now. Um, especially considering that institutional support and, um, institutional, like, uh, what's the word? Like, History and events surrounding dance music are usually very much steeped in, in this history now because we've all talked about it for so long. It's We realize that it's important now. And um, for this museum to have such a controversial opening feels like a, a, a like a really missed opportunity and just kind of surprising, honestly. Yeah. Um, something that I thought was interesting um, about that piece is that um, the founder actually mentions that like there were multiple parties that like kind of dug them in a deeper and deeper hole um like i think it was actually the frankfurt mayor who described um t frankfurt as the place where techno has its origins um and that's what like um started like this um huge um um public backlash um but yeah, like even just like the st the statement like this we there's nothing that has ever existed um, for all of electronic music, techno, club culture. Um, I I think you can like <laughs> when I was preparing for this podcast, I literally just googled like techno museum. <laughs> And Exhibition 3000 was the first thing to come up. And um, their about page says, the world's first and only <laughs> techno museum. So um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I think um, it was interesting how much craft work came up in that piece also, um, because um, I think it also um, uh, highlights this like broader issue of um, it being difficult for some people to distinguish like what laid the foundations for a genre and like who were there at like the origins of a genre. Um, as yeah, that argument comes up a lot um, when people um, argue against um, Detroit being, um, you know, the place of origin of techno. Um, they're like, well, 
craft work was making music and like you know there's like this whole you know european um history with electronic music well it 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 always feels to be like you know um people who want to really emphasize the history of techno in europe or like whatever europe has done for techno will be like oh yeah a techno wasn't invented in detroit sure but craft work you know they always have to go back and like it's almost like trying to have the last word when obviously you know the Detroit people will tell you that Kraftwerk was important, but it's not the be all end all, and Kraftwerk is not Detroit techno. So, but yeah, it definitely seems like a, a convenient uh, argumentative point for certain people who want to uh, downplay the Black and American origins origins of techno. Yeah. Also, I think Kraftwerk was just so influential people to so many genres at that time, like. Craftwork was also influencing hip hop, but you don't really see people questioning the black origins of hip hop. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah, I agree. It's shocking that we're still having this debate in 2023. Um, and the museum's director has a pretty broad definition of electronic music that obviously doesn't really trace it to Detroit. Um, and I feel that this is somewhat of a trite question to ask, but what do you think the implications are around the repeated erasure of techno's originating artists from the history of the genre and the fact that this is still happening now? Well, I mean, I, I think one of, one of the biggest issues around this is like, if you don't make it clear or emphasize the roots of something, it's really, really easy for it to be co-opted. And I mean, obviously, techno and electronic music has been co-opted in all directions, but it even comes down to, to like a safety thing. Like if, or like a social thing. If you have like people who love techno and, but they're like fascist or far right or like skinheads or whatever. And they, you know, and they think that techno is their thing. And then someone wants to go to a techno event somewhere and it's full of like, uh, like racist people or like, sorry, full of like, um, far right people or people who, uh, how do I say this right? let's say full of like dangerous people who wouldn't, who don't want them to exist or homophobic, racist, sexist, et cetera, like that is kind of betraying the roots. And if you make it clear that, that these forms of music are from a certain place and have this origin, it kind of makes it harder for it to be infiltrated by those people. Not impossible, but you know, there are lots of people out there who think that techno is from Germany or the techno is from the Netherlands and it allows it to be co-opted in a certain way by certain people. And if you make the history clear, it's a bit harder for that to happen. Not impossible, but just, you know, harder. Yeah, um, I think this broader definition of like techno just, you know, being seen um, as, you know, dance music, um, sorry, no, electronic music um, is uh, really just taking, yeah, like an ahistorical approach to viewing um dance music um and it actually kind of makes me think of um a conversation i had with my family recently um because when i hang out with my family i become like resident um dance music spokesperson um but they're kind of just um asking me about like the differences between like all the genres and we're also kind of implying that like these differences aren't real because it all like quote unquote sounds the same. Um, and I like took a little time to like 
try to explain some of these differences because, um, yeah, when you look at the history, like these genres were um, emerging um, out of very specific conditions that, you know, like, I don't know if like there wasn't like a black and gay community that like needed spaces, um, you know, where they can dance together, um, like feel safe together. Um, who knows like if house music would have existed. Um, and like, I, I don't know, like there are like a group of radical black kids making music in Detroit. Um, that's where techno came from. Um, so like, I don't know, I feel like this is all like inherently political and um, maybe it's easier for this history to get buried because electronic music is still pretty obscure to the average person. Um, but yeah, I think it's important to note these contrasts because otherwise you're really just ignoring history. I Yeah, I think you made a lot of really good insights. I was going to ask why the discussion around techno's origins has been an ongoing debate because I think people who are in our niche are mostly aware of where techno comes from. Are either of you going to movement this year? I am not. Kiana? I was supposed to, but now I'm, I'm, I can't even get into it. <laughs> but I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We, we are, one, one of our writers is going to do an art of production interview with Octave One. Um, when they're in Detroit for movement. So that'll be exciting. That is very cool. Everybody stay tuned for that. I love Octave One and I actually did see them play live one year at movement, just like in, I think it was at Submerge during the day and there were like 10 people there. It was really, really sick. Um, and I guess it's also worth noting for anyone listening who will be at Movement, RA, and the Detroit Techno Foundation are co-hosting the second year of a touring exhibit called Respect the Architects, which is an exhibition exploring some of the Detroit electronic music community's most impactful and unsung heroes. We published an archive of some of the work that was presented in that last year, so it's definitely worth checking out if you're in town. I guess to wrap things up, what are you both enjoying listening to these days? Detroit or not Detroit? I've been really stuck on um, Doc Sleep's album, uh, Birds, which I reviewed last week. It um, it came out on Tartlet. Uh, she runs her own label called Jacktone, where uh, Jacktone is like a really nice label for finding like younger or uh, lesser known artists, like like Gayfex Twin, for example, um, and all kinds of dance music. And the Doc Sleep album, it's like it hits a really nice sweet spot of like 90s IDM for me, like mid period Autechre without feeling too much like pastiche or like too retro. Uh, just like really nice melodies, beautiful arrangements. The drums sound amazing. All the track, most of the tracks are rhythmic, but it, the drums are never like too heavy, too hard. I've um, been listening to Jossie Mitsu's forthcoming record. It might be out. It's not, it's not until May 12th. Oh, oops. Um, well, yeah, I've been listening to that. Um, and I was, um, um, so this record is called Planet J2 and it follows her 2021 release, um, Planet J, um, which I listened to so much that year. Um, like that's like the one EP that I, I think it was like also like 
peak, like pen, like it was like the second wave of um, lockdown. So like, I don't know. Her music has a really um, icy tone to it. Um, that's like almost like a little like um, dreamy, like also like kind of melancholy, um, but um, also really embodies the expansiveness of UK club music. Um, so on this forthcoming record, um, there's some techno, there's some influence of East Coast Club, there's breaks and some really beautiful pad work. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited for it to come out and for everyone else to enjoy it as well. Another record I've been really uh, obsessed with is uh, from a Canadian artist named Stefana Fratilla. Uh, she's one of the founders of Cripbrave, which is an organization in Toronto that uh, focuses on how to make events uh, not just more accessible, but, you know, safer and more considered for uh, for disabled people. Like one of the most interesting things I found from or I found in like their interviews is like saying, like, even if you say an event is not accessible, that's still more helpful than like not saying that all, all these considerations that go in um, to for disabled people to make decisions for what they go to, what what the, what, what the best opportunities are for them. Anyway, um, the album is the result of like a two year long experiment she did with NASA scientists where she used data uh, from and recordings from different satellites to try and um, recreate the atmospheric conditions of each planet. And then she made these plugins for it that kind of, you know, use kind of abstract parameters to replicate the conditions of each planet. And then she used a Moog and some other synths to make uh, an album of ambient-ish music uh, based around each planet. And it's like really, really uh beautiful and eerie it kind of feels random sometimes um not all the tracks like clearly correspond with the planet but you can you know use your imagination and it's uh it, that yeah the, the effects are amazing um and just to have like a you know a two-year-long planetary research project come result in like an album that actually is pleasant to listen to and it's not just like a gimmick is really impressive um so i've been really really into that one and i'm uh review will come out in the next two weeks that sounds really cool. I'm also really interested in hearing that and maybe getting some of the plugins. Um, well, is there anything else that's coming out over the next few weeks that you're super psyched to hear? Well, the big one is over the Overmono album. That's probably like the the biggest release of the next month. Um, I will I will withhold my opinion on it. Um, I don't want to spoil anything, but um, it's big coming up. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're definitely like one of, one of the biggest uh, dance music acts in uh, quote unquote underground dance music right now. So that feels like a big event. Uh, one that I will talk about is uh, Isole, who's like a longtime minimal uh, producer, has his first album in like seven years coming out called uh, Resort Island. And it's really fun. It's kind of like the more like cheeky melodic side of his earlier stuff, um, kind of like a like kitschy Balearic vibes. Yeah, those two. They're both coming out in, in, in the middle of May. Thank you both so much for that discussion. All right. Thank you, Chloe. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. The music in this episode was composed by Joe Johnson. You can browse our full archive of episodes on your favorite podcast platform. 
And if you love this show, leave us a review and a rating as it helps get our shows to more ears and subscribe to our channel to keep up to date everything we have coming out. If you have ideas for someone you'd like to hear on the RA Exchange or documentary or series ideas you'd like for us to explore, please feel free to reach us over email at exchange at ra.co. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, take care.